Dear Mum, sorry I haven't written in a while. It's been a lot going on. I've been really busy on my house. It's a nice panel job, plenty of room. I'd love you to come and see it. How are things back in Babylon? You going okay? It's good to be back here in the promised land, but to tell you the truth, it's not as good as I thought. It was meant to be God saving us, bringing us back to the land, no more enemies, you know, peace. But the Persians are still in charge. Our enemies have stopped us rebuilding the temple. There's a drought. Crops are failing. Stock are lean. There was so much hope when we came back, but it's all fizzled into nothing. Some people are saying there's a new prophet in town. Maybe he can make sense of it all. I'll let you know what he says. Love from your confused son. Welcome to the world of Haggai, where there's lots of Jews back in the land, but life's tough. Here's a timeline on the screen for you, just to help you see what's happening. They were in Babylon as prisoners of war, and then Persia came and beat up on the Babylonians and let the Jews go home. But since coming back, things haven't gone to plan. Uh, They were meant to come back, rule in the land, no more enemies, rebuild God's temple and enjoy an abundance of blessing. Instead, their enemies are still around. They're stronger than them. They've stopped them rebuilding the temple and they're in drought. No blessing. And it's into this mess that God sends the prophet Haggai. And the message of the Lord is that the reason for the mess lies with the Jews themselves. And so through Haggai, God rebukes his people and he gives them extraordinary hope. This morning, we're looking at God's rebuke. And his charge against the Jews of Haggai's day is one which echoes down through the centuries to you and I here this morning. Because they were not seeking God's kingdom. They were interested primarily, though, in themselves. And God hates coming second, always has, and he always will. And we need to make sure we don't make the same mistake. Haggai 1 is heavy going. It's hard words for us to hear, but there's light at the end of the chapter. Other people repent and God responds amazingly. But before we look at the repentance, we first need to hear the rebuke. So let's have a look at Haggai 1. We'll start in verse 2. And God rebukes the Jews because they've got a problem with their priorities. See if you can spot their priority problem. Verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? You spot the problem? The Jews had looked after themselves. They had built their own houses, but God's house is a ruin. Clearly, God's got a problem with their priority of houses. But why would that trouble him? Why is God so concerned to have his house built first? It's because how you treat God's house is a great indicator of how you're treating God himself. Because God's house, the temple was where God lived among his people. It was where God ruled over his people. It's where he forgave his people. And so to go back to the land and not rebuild the temple, well, that would be a huge slap in the face of God. 
It had failed to recognise God's authority. It had failed to acknowledge his presence. It had grossly displayed independence of God. How you treat God's temple is a great indicator of how you're treating God himself. And God hates coming second. Now, when the people did first go back to the land, they they did. They got started on the temple. First things were first, but they were stopped by their enemies and then they didn't get back to it. And 15, 16 years later, as Haggai steps onto the scene, the temple, God's house, is still in ruins. And it clearly shows that something's wrong. A bit like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Here's a picture of it. It has stood for over 800 years. I have no idea how. Just look at that. That, that. that shouldn't be there. But it is. Clearly something's wrong with that building. It is more than 50 metres tall. It weighs more than 15,000 tonnes. But guess how deep they laid the foundation? Anyone want to have a guess? Over 50 metres tall. 15,000 tonnes in their foundation. Anyone? Greg, how, how, how far should they build it? Yeah, they built it three-metre foundation. And it was in weak, unstable soil. It started sinking when they were building the third floor. It's got seven or eight. It didn't take long. For over eight centuries, though, thousands upon thousands of people have come to look at the Tower of Pisa, and every time someone sees it, it stands as a testimony to the slackness, the cluelessness of the original builders. They'd got it wrong. And in Haggai's day, when anyone looked... At the temple, it stood as a testimony to the slackness of the Jews. Clearly, they'd got it wrong. And not just wrong in the building of it, but got it wrong in their attitude to God. And it should have been obvious to everyone that they were treating God woefully because the way you treat God's temple shows how you're treating God himself. But even look for the, even for the slow learners, God went to the trouble of drawing attention to the fact that, they, that something was gone. God was deliberately making their life hard to get their attention. Have a look, verse 5. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honoured, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. You see that? God's deliberately making their life hard. Now, why is he doing that? Now, have a look. Halfway through verse 9. Why? declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. And because of their priority problem, they've brought trouble on themselves. Verse 10, therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces, on men and cattle, and on the labour of your hands. God deliberately making their life hard to wake them up. Now, the fact that they weren't treating God right should have been obvious to them. I mean, just look at the temple, guys. It's a mess. Of course you're not treating God right. And for the slow, look at your crops, look at your cattle. Does it look like this is what life is meant to be like? But they just didn't get it. 
They weren't interested in God. They wouldn't even build his house. And so finally God sent his prophet with his word. Because God hates coming second. He still hates coming second. Because he's still God. And there is no other. And so before we look at the people's response to the word of God, we first need to think through whether we need to hear this rebuke as well. Is God coming first in your life? Or does he have to take a ticket and wait until you've got time for him? For the Jews of Haggai's day, they wanted to build their houses. They looked after themselves first. Do you think you might be doing the same thing? I think it's very easy for us to slip into looking after ourselves first. We can see it even in our houses, just like it was in Haggai's day. Are you pouring so much time and effort and money into your home, up to your eyeballs in debt, chasing the home of your dreams, working your tails off to pay off the mortgage, leaving you only token time and money to spend on Christ and his gospel? We can also see the selfish way of thinking in the way that we pursue the safe life. In Australia, we prize safety, security, well-being, health. And do you find yourself making sure you've got enough money, nice homes, secure jobs, trimmed gardens, respectable children, elegant holidays, up-to-date wardrobes, doing all you can to control your nice little safe world, to be secure, feel good about yourself. But you can't pull that off and live a life of devotion to the Lord Jesus, can you? And at school we can get sucked into leaving God behind as we try and look after ourselves, wanting to fit in, wanting to be popular at school. But chasing popularity, you you find yourself saying and doing things you know God hates. But you want to be accepted and you hate feeling all alone. You can't stand being left out. It just makes you feel small and worthless and you just want to feel good about yourself. And look, I know school can be a hard place. But being accepted by Christ, far more significant than being accepted by the people around you. Haggai 1 is telling us to take a good, long, hard look at ourselves. Is God really your God? Because God hates coming second. Always has and always will. For the Jews of Haggai's day, God made their life deliberately hard to wake them up and then he gave him his word through the prophet Haggai. This morning we have the word of God. God's telling us, plain as day, he hates coming second. What are you going to do with this word of the Lord? To see what we should do? Well, let's move to the repentance. Back with Haggai, and the Jews repented from their self-centeredness. They turned away from themselves and instead turned to God to honour him as their God. Have a look at verse 12 and see how the Jews of the day responded to the word of God. Remember, they've just been told that God is angry with them for looking after themselves and not being concerned with God. Verse 12, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai. 
because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. They turned to God, feared him, obeyed his voice, the message of his prophet Haggai. After more than a decade of ignoring and disobeying and living in contempt of God, here they turned back to him. Now, if you were God, what would you do next? Well, it's good, but you'd want to give them a bit more time to see if they're genuine. Happy, but not holding your breath. Cautious acceptance. Are they the real deal? Have a look at verse 13 and see see how God responds. Verse 13, Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. I am with you. What we're seeing here is something of the depth of God's heart. He loves to forgive. He is quick to embrace the sinner. As soon as they turn to him, he says, I'm with you. It's like the father of the prodigal son. God welcomes sinners like that. If you're here this morning and you're wondering whether or not God will accept you, wonder no more. He loves to forgive. He's quick to embrace the sinner. We see it so clearly in Jesus. That's the very reason he came. He came for sinners. And next week we're going to see more of the extent of God's grace. It is amazing. Make sure you come along. Don't miss it. But for now, it's not just that God is quick to embrace his people, but being with them, he then stirs them up. He revives them. He transforms them and brings them into action. Have a look. Verse 14. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. And so at the stirring of God, the people have come full circle. They have returned to their God. And you could tell because they began work on his house. The way you treat God's house is a reflection of how you're treating God. And repentance is always seen in action. When someone's genuinely sorry for what they've done, you can usually tell, can't you? And not just because they stopped doing whatever it was, but they change what they do. They replace what they were doing wrong with doing what is right. Like the person who turns to Christ and they repent of anger and abuse and by the Spirit of God become gentle and self-controlled. Or the person who turns from lying and stealing to live a life of honesty and integrity and generosity. Christ stirs up his people by his spirit and he transforms them. Following Christ, it's a life of repentance, a life of new actions born by the spirit of God. The people of Haggai's day, they needed to repent. It was obvious they were treating God woefully. The temple was in ruins. And the way you treat God's temple shows how you're treating God. And so they repented and began building his house. But what about us? If the way we treat God's temple shows what we think of God, then we need to treat God's temple seriously. If we're not, we need to repent. So how do we treat God's temple seriously today? Well, in the New Testament, we're told two startling things about the house of God. And the first is that Jesus is the temple. In John chapter 1, we're told that God tabernacled or templed. He dwelt among us 
in flesh. God become man. Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ultimate temple of God, the pure presence of God, because he is God. And so not just symbolically, but literally, the way you treat Jesus shows how you're treating God, because Jesus is God. So how are you treating him? Honestly. Can you be bothered to obey his demands on your life? When he upsets or offends you, do you take issue with him? Do you refuse to accept that part of scripture, content to carry on as if that part of the Bible doesn't exist? Are you changing your life to match up with Christ? Do you get excited by the things that Jesus gets excited about and do you hate the things that Jesus hates? Is Christ your God? Or is he just your part-time life coach? Honestly, how are you treating Christ? Do you need to repent? Because the way you treat the Lord Jesus, it's the way you're treating God. And the same can be said about the church. Because the second thing the New Testament teaches us about God's temple now is that Christ's people are also God's temple. Christians are united to Christ, the temple. God dwells among us by his spirit. God's people are also the temple of God. And so a great indicator of how you're treating God is how you're treating his church. So honestly, what is your attitude to morning church? Do you care for God's people around you? Christ died for the church. He laid down his life for her. What do you do for her? What do you do for us? The New Testament uses the language of us building the church. Christ's people are to be built up. They're to be encouraged. They're to be warned. They're to be called on to persevere in humble trust and obedience to the Lord Jesus. Christians are to serve one another by going out of their way to help each other stay Christian. We're to be inconvenienced for one another's Christian sake. I'm not talking about being nice and having cups of tea and giving each other warm fuzzies. No, we're talking about genuine Christian love that desperately seeks to see each other continue to walk in the truth, for us all to be living by the word of God, for the glory of God, right to the end, built up in Christ. Is that your concern for the people in this room? Because the way you treat God's temple, God's church, reflects the way you're treating him. God didn't even spare his son for the sake of his people. So if you can't be bothered to serve the people Christ died for, well, I'm not sure you know the father or the son. I'm not sure your spirit has been stirred up by God's spirit. For us, this side of Christ, the way you're treating the Lord Jesus and the way you're treating his people, They're great indicators of how you're treating God. And God hates coming second. Always has. And he always will. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, it is right that you be worshipped. It is right that you receive all the glory and the honour and the praise and the blessing and the might and the power and the strength and the wisdom and because you alone are God. It is right that we fall into line. It is right that we honour you as God. And Father, we praise you because it's not just right, but it's good. Father, we want to serve you truly and not to be seduced by idols, particularly the idol of ourselves. Father, we want, by your spirit, we want to honour you rightly. And so we pray that your spirit would stir up ours and we would repent where we need to repent. And in the strength of your spirit, given to us through your son who died that we might belong to you, Father, please change us, mould us, shape us, convict us. Because, Father, you alone are God and we want to live for you. For your praise and glory, Father, we ask. Amen.